up, everybody, and welcome to the debut episode of Season 2 of Nerdgasm. Uh, I am your host, your main host today, the Black Lantern, Brooklyn Vale, and we have uh, a triple threat, the first of uh, of the Cody and Brooklyn era, I guess you would say, of Nerdgasm. Uh, we have Mark Aiden Kamir taking on Jacoby Bancroft, taking on Ruben Colon, and it's going to be an interesting uh, debate, nonetheless. Very uh, very boisterous personality, some good mouths on him, uh, and we'll see how... Ooh. Yeah, we're going to try and cut that out. Uh, but... Um, off to the judges to see how they feel, starting off with the uh, co-commissioner, that son of a bitch, Cody Dewberry. Uh, our first uh, formal triple threat uh, of, of, the, uh, of, our, of our era. How do you feel? Yeah, um, we're, inter- Im- we're implementing a new style, so other debate leagues, you can copy us, make it a lot easier for everybody else. Um, but this is actually a really fun one. When we came up with this, when the wheel decided this, I was so excited for this match. Um, Jacoby is a wild card because Jacoby is arguably one of the funniest care, uh, people in this community. He really oh, is. That's it. I'm uh, out. <laughs> I've judged Ruben before in debate, and I know that he has the skills and now put into uh, not general movies, but actually geek movies and stuff. I think he's got a real strong thing. And I've actually debated Mark. And Mark, regardless of what the score turned out to be, Mark is actually a fantastic debate uh, player. So I'm excited to see him in a... Uh, not just one area, but multiple areas and see how he holds up. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I do not know who will win this. It's going to be up in the air. Yeah. Uh, and our third judge, uh, often as always, uh, the runner of fandom uh, over multiplex, Caleb Coho. Caleb, how do you feel about this triple threat? Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, we've seen one of these guys in trivia, at least in fandom. So I, I'm familiar with one person in this match. Uh, I'm familiar uh, with Jacoby's antics. Uh, and we've seen uh, how funny people do in debate. Sometimes they can pull a snap back to reality and, uh, and win the whole thing. And uh, I've judged Mark's uh, debates before, and he is someone to be feared. Um, I haven't seen Ruben debate yet, but maybe, he, uh, maybe he's going to win this whole thing. I don't know, but I'm excited to see how all three of them go tonight. All right. Well, uh, let's get into the minds of our competitors and some little pre-match interviews. Uh, gentlemen, I'm just going to ask you the same question for each for all of you, and then I'll, I'll get some responses. So I'll start off with Mark. Uh, Mark, why do you feel uh, you are going to win this? I feel like I'm going to win this because then uh, I need everyone to know how to pronounce my last name correctly, which is Kamire, by the way. Uh, also, I just want to show everyone uh, – I poke fun at you, Brooklyn. It's all good. It's all good. Everybody does it. I want to win this match just just to show you that I'm not just a, uh, let's say, uh, a Marvel DC geekdom kind of player. I'm a well-rounded player. I know movies. I know this stuff, and I'm here to show what I can do with various different topics. All right. I'll go over to Ruben. Okay. Um, yeah. So pretty much I think I'm going to come in here, guns blazing. I want to kind of prove what I'm capable of. Um, I'm one of the biggest nerds out there. Um, so I guess I fit right into this community. Um, but for the most part, um, I did the debate before. I pretty much bullshit most of, the, most of that debate just because I had no idea what I was talking about. The only thing I do know is geek-related stuff, and that's what's going to happen here. So I know everything. I actually seen all these movies that we're debating today. So I can actually have a chance to actually not bullshit and actually play. And um, yeah, my name is my last name is pronounced Cologne. So I'm right there with you. Uh, I think it was Mark. So, <laughs> but it's okay. Everybody pronounces it that way. But um, yeah. So I'm looking hopefully to kick some ass and make a name for myself. All right. Uh, that's what to you and Jacoby. Why do you feel you are going to win this guest match? Uh, pass. 
Oh, I can't pass. I'm the last one. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to win because I have a, a, a spunky spirit to, to all of this. And I have the uh, heart of a champion. Um, and I think those are the only two things I need to win um anything really so i'm excited to 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 go about this and and debate these guys with their complicated hard to pronounce last names but uh but i'm here to 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 kick some butt and to show that insert name here isn't just a subpar trivia team but they're also a maybe a subpar debate player as well so let's do this all right uh so let's get right into question number one uh actually making its debut under guys if we haven't uh, we haven't done a question in this realm yet is rocky uh, and the first question, gentlemen, is what is the best Rocky film? Uh, this is including uh, the, the the Creed era, the Creed series. Um, Ruben, you're going to be going first. You have a minute to tell us what you think is the best uh, Rocky film. Okay, um, straight up, um, whenever I'm looking for what is the best Rocky film, Creed film, whatever I'm talking about, um, I'm kind of looking for an all-around uh, movie, a movie that kind of like speaks volume over the rest of the movies. And um, and not just about the fight, not just like one big fight at the end and it automatically makes the movie. I'm looking for a character development. I'm looking for um, storytelling. And that and the one that kind of like demonstrates that the most is Creed Two for me. Um, I think there's so much storytelling in there. I think there's so much character development. The acting is phenomenal, in my opinion. Um, and for someone that doesn't like Sylvester Stallone, I think he did a subpar acting um, in that film. So um, I kind of will just leave it at that because I have a lot to say about other choices. But yeah, that's all I got. All right. Uh, we'll go to uh, Mark next. You go to a boxing movie for spectacle. You go for a boxing movie for the fighting, for the ultimate uh, mortal versus mortal. And what better movie in the Rocky franchise that exemplifies, you know, man and gods against one another than Rocky IV, when Rocky has to take on the Russian king, as it were, uh, Ivan Drago. Almost called him Call. That's a different franchise entirely. Uh, he literally punches communism in the freaking face what more right in the height of the cold war era okay this is the movie that we didn't need to see but we absolutely needed to see because i mean what else is rocky gonna do once he's beaten mr t and go to the top he's got his title back now he's got to take on a monumental force and what bigger force at that time than <laughs> the cold war communists and that is personified in Ivan Drago. It's Rocky IV. It's the one we all love, most quotable. Rocky IV. Perfect. All right, Jacoby, uh, what do you think is the best Rocky film? 60 seconds, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, I think to answer this question, uh, my pick is the Rocky film that took the original message of the first movie and infused its own kind of flair and uh, creativity into it. Because really, we need to ask ourselves, what are the Rocky movies about? You know, you know, as, as awesome as it is, the Rocky movies are not about, you know, America beating the uh, showing dominance over the Soviet Union. It's not a revenge story. It's not even about winning. No. The reason the first Rocky resonated so well is it's because it's about going the distance. It's about, it's about proving that you can do it to yourself and not caring what anybody else thinks. And no sequel since that first one has really exemplified that really well. So what a surprise. Uh, when Creed came along, this this new movie in the franchise that uh, that really reinvigorated it in a whole new, completely surprising way that took the message of the original and spun it off into a completely new direction um, that was just beautifully acted, 
Um, just a star making performance from Michael B. Jordan and uh, was just the best acting of Stallone's career. So uh, Creed is the best Rocky movie, hands down. All right. All right, gentlemen, we now move on to the free form, free form portion. Uh, we talked about this beforehand, how this works. Um, let's get it up. Okay, um, so I guess I'll go ahead and start it off since I started off the beginning. But um, so first off, um, I, Mark, you were pretty much talking about how Rocky Four, pretty much everything you laid out for me is that it had the best fight. That's all I heard from you. You just said, oh, the fight's amazing. The fight's incredible. And while I get that, okay, fine, we go and see these movies to kind of see, see it for the fights. We're not really identifying which film had the best fight. We're identifying which film actually is the best film. And for that, you need acting. You need storytelling. Um, Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren, I'm sorry, they're not that great actors on their own. I don't think they are. I think they're supporting actors. I think they should remain that way. Um, that's why I love seeing Rocky and uh, Dolph Lundgren in Creed 2, because I actually got to see that uh, point of view from them. Um, and as far as Jacob, um, again, you pretty much said that uh, Creed 2 was like a flare of past Rocky films or, or the original Rocky film. Honestly, I'm not really seeing how it's completely different. Like to me, it's like a carbon copy. There is, and the thing is, is that with Creed, uh, the original Creed, is that you're missing what Mark's missing, uh, uh, what, what Mark isn't missing. What he capitalized on is the fact that it um, doesn't have a good fight. It has a boring fight at the end. Um, I'm gonna move because I'm talking a lot, so. Creed 2 does not happen without Creed. Creed does not happen without Rocky IV. Creed II's whole plot revolves around what happens in Rocky IV in that Apollo Creed gets killed in the ring by Ivan Drago. Creed, the whole point of him growing up without a father, without the legend Apollo Creed, if he is alive in Creed, that movie is a completely different narrative. Hell, that movie just doesn't freaking happen. In Rocky IV, of course there's character development. Rocky has to overcome the odds to beat this unstoppable force, this juggernaut that's just arrived from overseas that killed his best friend. And he has to fight him off of American soil. He has to go into the belly of the beast, into the heart of the lion's den to fight this guy. And not only that, he has to do it with, it's a revenge story. Rocky IV is revenge. He's got to get revenge for the death of his buddy, for the death of Apollo Creed, because dying in the ring's just not, not the way to go. I mean, without that movie, Creed's one and two do not happen. See, I think the problem, I love Rocky IV. Rocky IV is just, it's just a masculine shot of adrenaline. I love it. But the problem is it's a, like a 13 minute movie. It's like the first fight with Apollo Creed. And then it's, it's Rocky's fight with, uh, with Ivan Drago. I mean, that's, that's it. That's why they feel, that's why a third of that movie is montage. That's why the movie starts off with a flashback. When Apollo Creed dies, he flashes back to what we just saw. There's just montages. There's the whole James Brown segue of him singing all like coming to America, whatever he sees. It's, it's unnecessary because it's just it's just a fight there's no movie kind of around that behind the very simple story of St stallone fighting drago um so that's why i just don't think uh, rocky 4 is the best rocky movie uh creed 2 on the other hand creed 2 the, the whole emotional crux of that story you really only care if you've seen rocky 4 it's a continuation of it it doesn't work as its own separate movie the reason creed works so well is because it's a standalone feature that that calls upon the spirit of the original and does so in just this this kind of new way while also passing the torch down um, from the original uh, in, in such an organic and, and really relatable and emotional way that works. It's not supposed to work, but it does. Uh, yeah. 
Okay. Um, are we just keep going around or? Okay. All right. Um, so uh, real quick, um, I guess I'm going to jump back over to uh, Mark. Honestly, I'm not going to spend too much time on Rocky Four anymore because I feel like, again, it's just a fight. That's all the movie is. It's just a fight. Um, you brought up the fact that um, like Creed 2, Creed 1 doesn't happen without Rocky 4. Well, then that's to say like, okay, so then Rocky 1 automatically is the best film because the rest of them don't happen without the sequels. The fact is, is that this leads up to it. And that kind of counters what Jacob was saying is that Creed 2 needs Rocky 4 to kind of uh, develop its story. But they're sequels. That's how they're made. That's how it works. Like you can't just knock a film just because like it's a sequel. Um, for me, the reason why I want to talk about Creed 2 is because the villain in it, the, the monster, Dolph Lundgren's um, Ivan Drago, he's he's actually, you see a redemption arc from him. You actually see his character develop more. You see him actually looking out to save his son. You see Creed battling the guy who is the son of the person that murdered his father. There's so much story in this film, and it's way better than the other two films. I'm sorry. Story-wise, everything, acting, everything better. And that, but that's kind of, oh, sorry, do I, can anyone go or does it go in order again? Sorry. Just shoot in order. Just shoot in order. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. When you think of a Rocky film, you think of the quotes. And the most quotable one is obviously Rocky Four, with, you know, I must break you. You will lose. You know, it's, I mean, everybody quotes it. When you talk about Rocky, that's, it's the most quotable. When I say burning heart, hearts on fire, living in America, that's the Rocky Four soundtrack. You don't, uh, oh, sure, you can say, well, Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, that's cool. But, you know, we get a little bit of that in Rocky Four. So, I mean, it, it all works itself out. You talk about character development and stuff. What are sequels exactly? Sequels are to build upon the first movie and to make it bigger and bigger. That was the I mean, that's what sequels are to make things bigger and better. What is bigger than Rocky facing down this guy who is a personification of a sovereign nation? Uh, you know, the which by the way was culturally relevant at the time. Not only that, not only did Rocky punch communism in the face, he got the communists on board with him because of his determination, his hearts of fire, strong desire. Yeah, I'm quoting the song because that's what we love about it. Okay, then I'd, uh, you're right, you, you made a good point. So I'd like to amend it. Rocky Four is not just two fights. Uh, Rocky Four is two fights plus a uh, good soundtrack and some good quotes. But that's, and that's, and that's it. There's no movie. It's bare bones. That's everything there. So as, um, uh, sorry, I forgot, Ruben said, uh, it's like done talking about Rocky Four. Um, but I want to, you, you talked about how Creed II humanized Ivan Drago. And I think that works against your movie because in Rocky Four, he was just this machine. He was this monster. He was this person, this, this symbol for Russia. And then uh, uh, Creed II totally dismantled that by making him a human being, undercutting what he was in Rocky Four. So I think that knocks against it. And the problem when you said it's not an interesting fight in Creed, um, I think it's the exact opposite because you don't know what's going to happen. The problem with Creed II is that you know how that movie is going to play out. You knew it from the trailers. He fights uh, the son of Ivan Drago once he's going to lose he's going to come back he's going to win again you know how that turns out with the creed the first one you don't know what's happening of all the fights that he faces in that movie you don't know if he's going to win or not and you don't know if you're rooting for him and if you want him to win and to come out on top that's what makes that final fight so exciting because it could go either way you know creed is not going to lose in creed 2 against it you know rocky's not going to lose against ivan drago in the, the final one so it's just it uh creed is just the good fight one for that all right, Ruben and everybody wrap this into your final thoughts. Uh, Ruben, you'll start and then go in order. 
Okay, um, so again, bouncing away from Rocket 4, because I feel like I kind of already said everything I had to say about that. No offense, I just don't think that is a superior movie at all. I think it has a great fight. Let's focus on Kree. So let's talk about it, okay? So again, something that Mark brought up, he's like, okay, every fighting film has to have a good um, fight. I'm sorry, Ricky Collins probably a horrible villain. He's not, he's a bad villain. He's not likable. He's not enjoyable. Um, whereas you actually bring in Victor Drago, who is a son of an already popular fighter, uh, someone that everybody knows and more of a connection. And this fight means 10 times more than it means than with the fight against Ricky. So I just feel like Creed capitalizes on everything, capitalizes on character development, it capitalizes on being a better sequel, it capitalizes on storytelling and acting. And for someone that doesn't like um, Sylvester Stallone, I know I'm going to get shot for that. Uh, for someone that doesn't like him, he actually does a really good job acting in this film. And Michael B. Jordan, great as always in this film. Um, and I guess I will leave it at that. Except, yeah, good luck, guys. Creed 1 is just a rehash of the first Rocky. The underdog rises up, has a final fight for the title, and loses. Creed 2 while there is uh, more character development there, you understand why uh, Victor Drago is fighting, what he's got to lose. You still don't get that without Rocky IV, which, by the way, Drago already is humanized at the end of it by saying, when I fight, I fight for me, not for Russia, for me, because he is determined. He wants to prove to Rocky that they he belongs in the ring with the champ. He belongs in there with the big wigs there. Rocky IV has the songs we all love, has all the quotes. We don't need, after a fourth installment of this franchise, you know, we're not going for the acting. We're going for the fight. We're going for the big spectacle fight. And that's exactly what we got out of this movie. That's exactly what we, uh, you know, always remember from the Rocky franchise, Rocky IV. Okay, um, you call just Creed a rehash, but it's not really a rehash as it much. It's more of a reinvigoration that brings the series into the 21st century to people who did not grow up with Rocky. Creed was 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 my Rocky. It was the first that I got to experience something like that in a, in a modern setting, um, and like in the 21st century. It, it it captures the message of what Rocky was originally about and makes it sort of fresh and new in a way that passes the torch. Not many franchises pass the torches successfully because it's. It, really hard to do all franchises try that and they fail but creed is the only one that passed the tour successfully because it had rocky in this mentor role that delivered sylvester stallone's best performance i don't know what you're talking about about creed 2 being sylvester stallone's best performance sylvester stallone was nominated for an oscar for creed because of his bout with cancer which is so much more engaging about rocky losing his will to fight and trying for it to come back again than it is about him reconnecting with his family in creed 2 um, so all of that, I just think makes Creed the best Rocky movie because it is just the ultimate Rocky movie. It's the message of what Rocky is. And, and Michael B. Jordan is just awesome. All right. Uh, great arguments, gentlemen. Uh, we are now going to go over to, to the judges, uh, and get our thoughts. Uh, I'm going to go first. Um, I think there was uh, a great overall theme sort of brought, brought in by all three competitors. Um, I thought Mark's Rocky Four was like, uh, you know, it has, it has a great fights, it has the great quotes, it has the great music. It's, at this point, it's such a Rocky Rocky film. Um, whereas with like Ruben's Creed, Ruben's Creed Two, um, it's a great it's a great carryover from from Rocky Four. Um, um, I the Drago has a great paradigm shift. 
has a great redemption arc. Uh, Smash Stone has a good performance, and, J- and Jacoby's um, with how it's just a, it's a great passing of the torch film, and it's sort of like a reinvigoration of it. Um, I think Mark sort of got he got caught up um, in the free in the free form. He started throwing some haymakers there in, in the last of it, which I, I which I applaud him for. Uh, just didn't quite hit the mark for me. Um, I'm actually giving my point to Jacoby. Because uh, Jacoby does something I really like, is which is a good balance in an argument. He was able to attack both competitors and yet still support his own. Uh, Ruben, I didn't get quite enough from Creed Two. I got a couple of things, but not a lot to, to really convince me. Uh, so Jacoby gets my Toby, Toby gets my point, uh, but I'm not the only judge here. I'll go after Cody next. Uh, who do you who gets your point and why? Well, they're all three wrong. They picked the wrong Rocky. It's Rocky Three by far. Um, but uh, my uh, this I felt like this fight was Rocky versus Clubber one. Uh, it did not end well, and it was over before it started. Uh, he was the the two did a good job prepping and making it good, but Jacoby did a perfect bob and weave balance. Um, he kind of like went under the radar for some points and like was sitting there ready to throw back. He even threw that last d- dig that. Ruben was relying on that says I like Sylvester Stallone's performance, but the Academy loved uh, Sylvester and won. So I think that was a very bold strategy. Pretty much, you can say all Rockies are rehashes of each other. There, that's basically what the movie is. I just think it was really in Jacoby's hand from start to finish on this. It, he did a really good job in the fight. All right, so Jacoby does get the first point uh, in question number one. Caleb, your vote did not count, but how would you have swayed? Um, I think Jacoby did a really good job of selling on his movie while taking down the other simultaneously. I think Ruben did a really good job of selling Creed 2, but not so much as defending Creed 2 from Rock from Creed. I think both kind of ganged up on Rocky 4 enough where it was just kind of it was hard to defend from both angles. Um, but I think it was a tight one between Ruben and Jacoby, and I swayed just slightly to Jacoby. All right, on to question number two, gentlemen. Uh, we go to the realm of Pixar, uh, one of our one of our favorite franchises uh, on the panel. Um, and the question was, what is the best Pixar movie for the entire family? Uh, some great choices, nonetheless. Uh, we're going to start off with Mark first. Uh, your opening statement, you got one minute. What do you think is the best family uh, Pixar film? Well, frankly, choosing a movie that is about family. And I chose The Incredibles. Uh, and this was a movie before, well, let's, let's call it what it is. It's, in a sense, uh, the Fantastic Four. Even though it's not, it is. And uh, during a time where we didn't think we'd ever get a good Fantastic Four movie, uh, and this was before, you know, Tim Story's run, I get it, it's fine. But what better way to give us a movie about superheroes doing extraordinary things that are a family than an animated one? So therefore, you could take the kids, you could take the, the mom and pop, the sister, the brother, you could take everybody, because this movie is about family at the heart of it. It's not just superhero and spectacle during a time where the superhero franchise hadn't become certainly what it is today but nonetheless it gave us just a taste of things to come while at the heart being family all right uh we're gonna go on to jacoby next uh you're okay saving do you got one, one minute yeah okay um okay Okay. Um, I think uh, every every Pixar movie is going to hit you in the feels. You know, every Pixar movie is going to teach you something. But the Pixar movie that's the best for the entire family, 
Um, I think that's uh, Toy Story 3 because the movie is about growing older and moving on. It reconnects adults with their inner kids in a way that no other Pixar movie does. Kids love it for the for the characters, the humor, the heart, the really exciting story, but parents love it for its emotional beating heart. I don't think anyone walked away from Toy Story 3 not feeling just a little bit misty-eyed over Andy saying goodbye to his toys and therefore his childhood, um, but the message of letting another kid play with them and therefore passing it down uh, to the next generation generation as he continued to live his life is such like a powerful message that I think stuck with parents um, in a way that no other Pixar movie does. Um, so just overall, just because of how it connects the older generation with the newer generation, uh, that is why Toy Story 3 is the best for, for the whole family. All right. Uh, go to Ruben to final, finalize the opening statements. What do you feel is the best Pixar movie for the entire family? Okay, I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet um, just because I feel like this is going to be more about countering each other's movies. But um, so pretty much my film, uh, 100% uh, best Pixar film for the entire family is up. And the reason why I feel this is because I'm looking for a movie that connects with adults, connects with uh, uh, like, like gr grown adults as well, while still connecting with the children in, in different scenes. Uh, you have characters like Doug and Kevin who connects with kids. Kids love to see Doug on the screen. They love to see... Um, uh, Kevin on the screen. While if you remember that first 10 minutes of that film had every adult in that theater crying in tears, like that film hit me so hard. And like, just, just for kids, like they enjoy the film as well. So like I said, it's an all around, it's a great, great film for the entire family. And not to mention, you know, it's connects two different generations, young and old together in the film. And I don't think there's any better family Pixar film out there. All right, uh, great open air against my L3 competitors. Uh, we'll now move into uh, the freeform. Let's get it up. Yeah, you know what uh, kids connect with the most about is uh, confronting mortality. Yeah, they really love connecting with the fact that let's watch this uh, old married couple through the lives as one of them dies. Let's go ahead and watch a movie where these toys that, you know, you develop such a relationship for with, oh, look, they're about to be incinerated. Oh, look, Andy's grown up and he doesn't want us anymore. We're stuck in the attic. Yeah, the kids really, really get down on that whole opening 10 minutes of Up where it's like, oh, my God, we just got introduced to this person and Kerplunk dead. That really speaks to the whole family. You just talked about adults connecting with those first 10 minutes. The adults are crying. How do you think the kids are going to feel looking over there at the adults crying? Like, why are you crying? What, what's, what is this movie? And then you got to ask yourself that with the rest of Up after those first 10 minutes. After that, it's just, okay, crotchety old man, annoying little kid, plots about going over what who cares because we're all out of it after those first 10 minutes toy story 3 while an overall good movie it's still it's dark and kids don't want dark in their pixar they want a freaking movie that they can uh get on board with and and feel inspired um, yeah, no, I agree with you there that it's, that there's a way to confront mortality and there's a way not to do it up. Does it in a way that's not really suitable for kids. It's very frightening for kids. That first 10 minutes is very sad and very heartening, but toy story three actually does it in a way that's kind of organic because it's not dealing with it head on. It's dealing with the themes of it that I think kids need to learn about and need to know about. So they do it in a way that's, that's kind of about what happens when toys aren't around anymore. That's the perfect segue into death and something that we should be teaching kids, uh, going on. And you talk about, Oh, they're so dark 
they're so violent. I'm sorry. Have you seen The Incredibles? The, the whole plot is about a villain who's inviting heroes to the islands to kill them in order to in order to uh, to find the greatest hero. He finds Gazer Bean's skeletal body. The main villain gets sucked into an airplane engine. Try explaining that to three-year-old Penny about who's like, Mommy, what just happened to that guy? There's a right way to deal with mortality and there's a wrong way to deal with mortality. Incredibles is a great superhero movie. It's one of the best superhero movies. Good for the whole family? No. Um, Up is, is just great when it comes to, uh, uh, you said good characters. Yeah, Doug's a good character for kids and has a sad opening, but I didn't hear a lot about how it, how it connected older generations and newer generations, like my movie, which was literally about older generations passing it down to newer generations. Um, yeah. Okay, um, so uh, I'm gonna just bounce around because um, honestly, like you both kind of came at me. So first of all, let me go over to uh, Incredibles. Um, it's a superhero movie. It's an animated superhero movie. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing different about it. There's nothing unique about it. It's an animated superhero movie. End of story. Guess what? Kids nowadays, they love regular superhero movies. They like going to see regular superhero movies. Nothing about Incredibles makes it unique. Um, you guys also came at me talking about how Up is like made for adults. It's, it's directed towards adults. Um, there's a reason why that scene I'm talking about was in the first 10 minutes. It wasn't dragged out throughout the entire film. It wasn't dragged on through half the film. It was within the first 10 minutes. It hit it, got it done, moved on, and then it actually hit elements that kids are going to enjoy. Guess what? What kind of kid doesn't love a film about uh, people going in a house with a whole bunch of balloons, flying out to a made-up land with a whole bunch of talking animals? So I'm not understanding how this doesn't seem like it's a kid's movie. Looking over at Toy Story, you didn't even pick the best Toy Story in the franchise. Like the original, uh, the second one, you picked the worst one in the franchise that kind of defines the family movie. In my opinion, Toy Story 1 actually fits up perfectly. I came close to picking Toy Story 1 just because of that. But you picked Toy Story 3, which has a creepy little teddy bear. And just because it has a good message doesn't make it a good family movie. Except that the fact that kids love superhero movies. I mean, if you need a, a fact check on that, just check the box office and check uh, like how many people go back over and over again. And especially for the Incredibles that came out during a time, they're basically a stand-in for the Fantastic Four before there was a Fantastic Four movie for these kids to go to. So therefore, this is their introduction. And it's, you know, that of course they enjoyed it because they're like, wow, look at that. A family of superheroes, not to mention two of them, happen to be kids the kids are identifying with those characters on screen with up they're they're scared to death after those first 10 minutes not to mention there are these talking dobermans that are you know determined to catch and snatch and eat and then there's the weird dodo bird that movie falls apart after afterwards toy story 3 is obviously the best in that franchise but it's still way too dark it's about being left behind no kid wants to be left behind the whole fact that movie teaches you that guess what kid you're gonna grow up and these things that you love you're just gonna leave them behind because they're not important when you're a grown-up um, I guess first and foremost, I see up again, you, 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 you said that the, yeah, the first part is for adults and the second part is for children. Yeah, that's great. But th that's the first part is for adults. The first 10 minutes is for adults. The rest is for children, but it doesn't mean it's perfect for family. It doesn't combine the two very well. It creates these in these two very separate categories. You attack Toy Story 3. You say, I didn't choose the best Toy Story 3. You're right. Toy Story 2 is the best film, but the best Toy Story 4, but the best Pixar movie for family is Toy Story story three um you talk about oh they don't like a creepy doll and, and you say oh you should chose toy story one for that toy story one has the most creepy poor animation with those creepy dolls and that's just that's just scary as fuck lotso is, is designed to be cuttable and it's designed to be nice 
Um, the for the Incredibles, you're describing a great superhero movie. Kids love superheroes. Great. I mean, that's that's great. Superhero movies are great, but that doesn't mean it's great for families. That's the point of this question. What is the best for families? And the one that combine the two older and the newer generations together um, in a way that that that's dynamic and doesn't separate them like Up does, then that's uh, that's why. Okay. Um, so once again, like you're bringing up the same thing that you already brought up and I already pretty much uh, countered that like up isn't just a film for adults. It's not just a film for kids. It's a film all around for a family. Like there's multiple elements, different elements of different story plots of the film that actually connect with different um, ages, uh, all age groups. Um, when you talk about Toy Story 3, the reason why I feel like Toy Story 3 doesn't really fit for the entire family is just because I feel like it's one big kids movie. That's all it is. Like, it didn't connect to me. I'm a grown adult. It didn't connect to me at all. I didn't see anything that kind of made it enjoyable for an adult. And when we look at Toy Story 2, Toy Story 1, the reason why I feel like that connects with everybody, like, yeah, Toy Story 2 is a better movie, but it's a better family film, too, because you're looking at everything. We're not looking at what has the better message, what is telling a better story. It's just what can the entire family like the most? back over to superhero films. Um, again, like I said, it's been done before. Maybe not animated, but still superhero films. Kids enjoy regular superhero films. There's nothing special about it, nothing unique. You bring up dark elements. All three of our films have dark elements. You can't just knock mine just because I have a dark element at the beginning. Like all three of our films have dark elements. Let's be real. Every Pixar Disney film has that. There's no surprise there. Um, again, like I don't really have anything else to say, just that like I've already capitalized on everything I've said. And yeah, let's go. All right, wrap this into your closing. Go. The reason why The Incredibles was so successful is because the parents took the kids, the parents identified with it, it got a sequel, which means that those same people came back for it, uh, came back for the sequel, and they, you know, that's a whole family dynamic there. Toy Story 3 is about the kids growing up. The, the people, that movie was made for the kids that were kids, for the first one and have now grown up as a way of saying, Hey, look, everything dies. You get older. Everything goes away with up. The movie falls apart after the first 10 minutes. Nobody ever talks about the rest of that movie except for that first 10 minutes, because the first 10 minutes is just so depressing, so dark. And you know, it deals with life and death and kids aren't ready for that. It's not for the whole family. It's for adults. The Incredibles is for everybody. Uh, me, right? It's me. Yeah. Um, okay, my closing. Um, uh, okay, this is a hundred percent true story. My my boss collects action figures, Masters of the Universe. He loves them. He loves them more than anything. He played with them since he was a kid, and he's put them in his office to like stare at. He never let his kids play with them because, or, or played them very limited in his office. Once he saw Toy Story two, he um he, um he he recognized the past of of the joy that it brought to him, and he let his kids play with them more in his office. And that's what Toy Story three is. It's combining the two generations, the older and the newer generations, together because. Because um, that's what's ultimately important about it. Because uh, Toy Story three is is not um, it, all the other movies might be like The Incredibles might be about family, but Toy Story three is the best for family. Uh, yeah. 
Okay, and again, like I said, going back over to Toy Story 3, um, your boss probably doesn't talk about specifically Toy Story 3. He talks about the original Toy Story, Toy Story 2. No adult connects with Toy Story 3. No one really connects with them. It's pretty much, most adults connect with the first two Toy Story films. As far as kids go, yeah, I give you that. Kids probably enjoy Toy Story 3 more than either one of our two films. That does not make it a, an all-around all family film. As far as, um, Mark, what you said, you were like, only the first 10 minutes we talked about. Um, okay, how many times do people talk about Doug and Squirrel, 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 Kevin? Um, there's so many different elements of that film. You think it's the first 10 minutes. No, as a grown adult, that's the first thing you remember. Guess what kids remember? Doug. They remember Kevin. They remember all the, the flying, the house with flying balloons. They remember different elements of it. you got to look at the movie as a whole, not just the first 10 minutes. And it is made as an all-around family film, in my opinion. All right. Good arguments all around. Uh, we'll go to the panel. Uh, Caleb, your votes knocked out last time. Uh, how would you have swayed? Um, I'm going to be giving my point to Jacoby again. Uh, I think Jacoby, though, in the closing, kind of, it didn't quite land. In the main broad argument, he hit both Up and The Incredibles in a way that neither ever fully recovered from when he brought up that Up is good for the family in two different parts, but they never merge. And how The Incredibles is a good movie about family, but it never really resonates for the whole family, especially with how it's killing off superheroes. Um, and neither, all they had to say about Toy Story 3 was that it's not the best Toy Story, but they didn't argue the fact that it's one that the entire family could watch together, necessarily. So I'm going to go with Jacoby on this one. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to go next. Uh, I think this was one in the free in the free form, and it actually goes to Merck. Um Mark hit a really big haymaker. Uh, so I think before we even get to that, I thought um, I thought both Jacoby and Mark did a really good job of, of attacking up, and they did what Cody likes to call a step uh, a step back, where they Mark where Ruben sort of wasted a lot of time talking about the opening ten minutes. Um, but whenever Mark talked about how like the, the Jacoby's whole message of Jacoby's whole theme was to go, oh, it's, it's a good message for the kids. It's a good balance for the family. And then Mark was like, you're teaching your, you're teaching your kids that your, your toys are just going to be up, up in the attic. I think it was that haymaker that sort of won me over. Uh, so I'm actually giving my point to, uh, to Mark. And I think it's that, that sort of stalled Kobe uh, in his closing. So you uh, kind of used my line a step back, uh, but yeah, that's true. That's exactly what ended up happening. Um, I, the only thing is, I feel like uh, one thing happened. Two people ganged up on one person, which made them mad, which made them get sidetracked. The other person got sidetracked on their own, and I think it was Jacoby. Uh, I liked what he was saying, but I needed a little bit more to touch. I think Mark overall was able to throw and keep distance in this fight. I think it was a lot closer than uh, kind of how uh, Caleb was saying. Um, but I think there was even balance. But for me, I think Mark wins this point just for the back and forth. Um, and kind of kind of throwing the other two off their game a little bit. I have to give credit to that one because that changes fights. So good job. All right. This next so, Mar be fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. So Mark gets uh, point number two. Uh, so for the viewers at home, uh, here's how it's going to work. If Ruben gets this next point, we're going to go uh, into a tiebreaker, uh, and then they will all speed round. Uh, they'll all speed round the debate. Uh, but uh, if Mark and if Mark or Jacoby gets gets the point, then we just move right into the traditional speed round. Um, so Ruben, you do need to hit this point uh, to stay in the game. 
so your your third question, gentlemen, is going to come in the category uh, of DC, uh, and I know that Cody, Caleb, and myself are super excited for this because the answers are oh so splendid, no so swell. Uh, and the question is, other than Heath Ledger, uh, who is the best DC villain? And this is uh, this is outside of the worlds of DC slash DCEU, so uh, so pre Man of Steel. Uh, so we're going to start off with Jacoby. Uh, your opening statement, uh, starting over one. Okay. So I just gotta stretch. Whew. This is insane. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, I think to be considered the best villain, uh, you gotta challenge the hero's belief and ultimately fundamentally change them. Um, but you know it's like an added bonus to that? If you win, villains don't win. Villains are the bad guys. They get they get knocked out and, and proven wrong for thinking something so insane and then teach the hero a valuable lesson about life. But that is what makes my choice, Ozymandias from Watchmen, even better. He not only wins and gets exactly what he wants, he convinces most of the heroes to go along with his way of thinking because he's actually right. The world is going to destroy itself by making uh by but by making like this 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 sacrifice by by of a bunch of people. He ultimately saves the world and unites it in peace. It's a hard choice, but in this messed up world that that Watchmen occupies, it's the only choice in his eyes. And he's so convincing that he gets almost everybody onto his side. He convinces Dr. Manhattan, a literal god in the sense, to come over to his side and thought that his way of thinking is the best. So that's why Ozymandias is the best villain because he accomplished his crazy complicated plan. All right. Over to uh, Rupert next. Okay. Um, actually, Jake, uh, Jacoby actually said exactly what I was going to say, talking about that. You know, villain should be someone that challenges the hero. It should be someone that actually wins. Be uh, like, if we're looking for who's the best villain, villains don't win that often, like you pointed out. The, uh, the thing is, is that there's another villain out there who actually gets exactly what she wants, who actually accomplishes everything she sets out to do, and she challenges, defeats one of the best superheroes out there, and that is Phantasm, the mass, um, in the film, uh, the mass of the Phantasm. Um, Andrea is someone who is pretty much uh, on a vengeance, and by the way, spoiler, but she is a someone on a vengeance to kind of like right the wrongs of her father dying. And she defeats not only Batman, but one of the most iconic villains in the Batman uh, verse in the form of Joker. She defeats the Joker and Batman in the same film. Um, I got a lot to say about um, the other choices, so I'll just drop it off at that, but I just want to start off with that. All right. Um, we'll go over to Mark uh, to close out the opening statements. Every great superhero does need an adversary. And Batman, one of the, he's got a rogues gallery that is probably the best out of every comic book character you can think of. But one of his ex most popular and iconic, and I, you know, remember that word iconic, uh, villains is Catwoman. And I chose Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman because you know why? When you say Catwoman, most people are going to remember that one. Eh, they might remember Halle Berry and how shitty that one was, but they remember Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman because that was during the Burton era Batman movies, which without those first two Batman movies, would we get Batmania in general? Batmania, which, you know, the merchandising of Batmania alone to this day is at an all-time high, and it's because of those first two movies. And Michelle Pfeiffer is a part of that. Michelle Pfeiffer led the way for future live action uh, uh, adaptations of of Catwoman. And so that's why I have Michelle Pfeiffer in as Catwoman in Batman Returns. All right. All right, gentlemen, you know the drill by now. We're on to the free form. 
let's get it on. So, so uh, me, right? It is me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the question: What is the best DC uh, villain? And I, I, I chose first for this one, and I didn't even consider Catwoman or Phantasm for this because you know why? Because she's not a villain. They're not villains. They're antiheroes. They're they're not the ultimate big bads of the thing. They do some kind of shady things, but they're not bad people. They're they're doing uh, they're doing good things in in the long run. You even said it yourself. You argued how uh, how cow, uh, how uh, how uh, Phantasm ultimately beat the Joker. Beating the Joker, who is the be- who is like the most insane villain of all time. That's a good in my book. Uh, Catwoman Michelle Pfeiffer, sure she's iconic and she's hot. Um, in in that smoke and leather and everything like that. But she but she she's not after something bad. She's not after something horrible. She's after revenge, revenge and and doing and and re- that that drives both of these characters. Don't make them good villains. They make them complicated antiheroes. They're not bad in that way. Ozymandias is a legit bad guy. He kills people willy nilly, no matter what to do to do what is right in the world he's not afraid to blow up everything for this he's um he's just he's, he's bad it doesn't not it, it, he is better than catwoman and phantasm in all these regards for the plan that he has um and how he implements it okay so um i'm gonna start with over jacoby i'll probably get over to mark later because i have a lot to say about jacoby's um ozzy um first of all um yeah, you're right. Catwoman and uh, Phantasm, they were after revenge. Um, as far as I'm concerned, vengeance is one of the biggest motivations for villains. That's actually what they want. That's actually what leads them to becoming villains. Um, as far as um, Ozzy, okay, so fine. He wasn't about a vengeance. Guess what he was about it for? To save the world, to create world peace. So I'm sorry, if anybody's an anti-hero here, it would be Ozzy considering the fact that he's caring about the planet as a whole and saving everybody. So I'm not getting that argument at all. But I will actually bounce off of that and jump over to Catwoman, where Catwoman, throughout that movie, she is uh, portrayed as a hero. She actually is, for the most part, doing heroic things. She teams up with Batman at one point. Um, So, like, I get that argument. But when you look at Phantasm, she doesn't just kill one person. She's not on vengeance on one person. She murders five different people, I believe, in that film. She murders five different people. And, yeah, just because she wants to take down the Joker, she still betrays the Batman. She She is, like, one of the most iconic villains out there and yeah sure you can make the argument that she's animated but i'm sorry like she is a badass and she actually excels over these other two characters who one doesn't really do much in her film quote quote i mean you know obviously talking about catwoman and then the other who seems more like a hero who's saving the world so i'm not seeing how she's not the better villain out of these three First of all, at no point did uh, Catwoman and Batman ever team up in that movie. The, she teamed up with the Penguin, the other villain of the movie. So let's just go ahead and clear that right up. Ozymandias, while the graphic novel, there's a lot to be said about him, but you chose the movie. And guess what? There's nothing. There's nothing to that guy. We get like a few scenes where uh, Matthew Good, and I bet you didn't even know his name, Matthew Good, because he just mumbles his way through the whole damn movie and just, uh, look, he's created a cat. Who the fuck cares? We're, we're not invested. What we're invested in in that movie is, is it going to stay faithful to the book and is Rorschach going to be awesome? We don't care about Ozymandias. Nobody did. Nobody talks about him after that. Phantasm? non-canon non-canon didn't matter it was a one shot uh she never came back they already uh you know and if she came back in a w- one cameo in justice league unlimited but it didn't fucking matter and it honestly he was right uh anti-hero not a villain she doesn't beat batman she just kind of thwarts him because she wants to take out the joker herself and does she do it 
No, because that whole storyline's retcon. It's not canon. It doesn't matter. Whereas Catwoman is a villain with revenge on her mind. She all the way through. You could call her an anti-hero if you want, but she is still straight up villain because she teams up with a penguin to help him out. One, I did know Matthew Good. I love Matthew Good. The crown is great. He's great in that, and he's a great actor. Um, but overall, when you say he does nothing good, I'm going to say something controversial here. The version of Mandius in the movie is better than the graphic novel. Yes, I said that. You say he doesn't do as much that he does in the novel. That's probably intentional. That's what works for the character. He's operating from the shadows. That's what makes his reveal at the end that he was pulling the strings to incorporate this, this, this devastating event that kills that kills a ton, a thousand and thousands and thousands of people, all the more revealing, all the more shocking, all the more great. Um, his plan in the movie, which if you're, if you're saying it's just not as good as a novel, it's better than a novel by, by using Dr. Manhattan and making him the scapegoat that ultimately unites the world in peace. That's crazy. Dr. Manhattan is um, omnipotent. He knows everything. Ozymandias is a villain that outsmarted God. I don't think Phantasm could do that. Catwoman could certainly not do that um, for, for all those things. Ozymandias is menacing. Ozymandias creeps behind the scenes. And then when you find out at the end that he has planned everything, he's cold and he's calculating. It is intentional that he's not relevant throughout the beginning part of the story because it makes the ending all the more great. Um, I can't even... Catwoman doesn't even... Is is just kind of on Batman's side. She's If, if you draw the line between good and bad of how that movie progresses, she's not the villain of of her own movie. The Penguin is the villain of the movie. She's just there, operating as this kind of temptress to Batman itself. You can't choose Catwoman as the best villain when there's a better villain in that movie with Penguin. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, um, so I'm going to go and jump on this. Um, so let me go over a couple things because, um, first of all, again, you didn't address the fact that, you know, Ozzy actually is doing good things. He, I mean, yeah, he's doing a whole, whole bunch of horrible things, but in the long term, he's in his mind, he's trying to save the world and his own idea. That's what you pretty much said earlier. You pretty much brought up the fact that he's kind of considered a hero because he actually does sa save the world. Now, granted, you also brought up that, you know, he wins. He actually doesn't win. If you remember correctly, Warshak actually sends a journal that actually ruins his entire plan. So guess what? He's not a winner. So I don't know what you're talking about. The only one out of us three who kind of wins is me uh, with um, Phantasm and kind of Catwoman a little bit. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, um, uh, Phantasma obviously is the biggest villain. And just and look, looking back over what Mark uh, Mark said, he brought up the fact that okay, it's not canon. Um, that doesn't matter. It's a theatrically released film. This has a badass villain in it, and it obviously excels over any other villains in the franchise, in my opinion. It doesn't matter if it's canon. It is by far the best story writing and the best like villain in that animated film. And I, yeah, that's pretty much. I'll leave it at that because I got some things to say in my closing. Keep it short. Yeah, uh, Ruben nailed it right there. Uh, Ozymandias doesn't win because Rorschach mails off the journal that has all the information to the newsroom. So, you know, uh, world united by peace? Don't think so. Not on Rorschach's dime. Uh, with Phantasm, I mean, could, could anybody even name who she is if they were to see her? It's like, oh, yeah, that was that uh, Batman person, villain. Was it a villain? No, anti-hero? No, no. Everyone knows Catwoman, and everyone associates Catwoman with either the comic books or Michelle Pfeiffer's because, yeah, you can call that look of hers all sexy and you can get all demeaning all you want. That's your thing. I'm just saying she is still an iconic image, and, you know, we have Michelle Pfeiffer's performance to, to uh, thank for that. And also, her position in the movie is to thwart Batman, which 
that's what his villains do. She's teaming up with the penguin so that Cobblepot can do all of his weird behind the scenes shit, like pretending to be mayor and what have you, while Batman could easily stop him, but he can't because here comes Selena Kyle as Catwoman, who is attacking him on both fronts as Selena to Bruce Wayne and to Catwoman as to Batman. He's conflicted. She is conflicting him with feelings. Uh, I'll, I'll keep this short because I was unfair and I guess I talked way too long last time. The main point that you're attacking about that Ozymandias didn't win because Rorschach did the journal. The way that the movie presented Ozymandias inconvinced me that he's going to overcome that no matter what. That he is going to find a way to outsmart that. I'm sorry, some loony bin who drops a journal off in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that's not going to be taken credibly. The smartest man in the universe is going to find a way to overcome that um, no matter what. And that's the version of Ozymandias that the movie created. That he can overcome any obstacle. That he can beat anything. That he can do anything like that um and i will concede just to make it uh, not concede but i will move on to make it fair because i talked too long first time all right ruben uh wrap this into your i think is it mark mark goes first uh no um no, ruben, ruben goes next. Next. oh wait that that was his closing right no we're right, going to yeah. closing now okay gotcha sorry uh okay um so try to keep this short and sweet um first off i'm just gonna bounce over to ozzy real quick ozzy again he doesn't outsmart um dr manhattan um, because Dr. Manhattan just realizes that like, okay, it's already done. The, the damage has been done. He just realizes that, you know, it makes more sense to just become the villain and keep world peace. It's not really outsmarting him. It's just him recognizing that, okay, let's make this sacrifice worth something. Um, bouncing over to um, Catwoman again. Yeah. Okay. Catwoman ideally might be the most recognizable villain up there with Joker and stuff, but she doesn't actually, Michelle Fiverr doesn't do anything in that film to make her that. Catwoman was already an iconic villain before that movie even came out. She was one of the most iconic villains in the comics and stuff. So that does nothing for it at all. So that argument completely doesn't make sense, in my opinion. And you want to talk about fighting Bruce on both fronts? Andrea um, Belmont. She was literally um, um, his love interest. She fell in love with him. They were in love. They, they um, um, you know, he, he wanted to get married to her. He wanted to quit being Batman for her. And then he pretty much fought her along as a phantasm. And I'm running out of time. But you get the idea. Doesn't make sense. All right. Uh, over to Mark. Well, first of all, as you said, Ozymandias is the smartest man in the universe. No, he's the smartest man in the world, as you know, just clearing that up real quick. So, and ultimately, his genius doesn't match up to Rorschach's uh, detective work, which he underestimates and essentially will be his downfall. So, there you go. Phantasm. Uh, a, a one shot in a movie that you know nobody really talks about. Yeah, she was a love interest. You know what? Actually, the more you talked about attacking him on both sides, like I did, she's just sort of a Catwoman ripoff, isn't she? And I wonder where they got the inspiration for that. Well, let's look at Batman Returns with Catwoman. She is there to seek her own personal revenge, but she teams up with Penguin because Batman is in the way. Her whole the storyline of Selena and Bruce is the through line throughout the entire movie. She is the villain. Yes, Penguin is also the villain, but she is the important villain because it always comes back to Batman and Catwoman against one another. And Michelle Pfeiffer is great. All right. Um, and then I, we're giving Cody. We are going to give Jacoby um, a closing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Yes, you're right, uh, Ruben. Um, they, he doesn't outsmart Ozymandias. He does something 10 times better. He convinces him that his way of thinking. At the end of, of Watchmen, the heroes go to confront him to stop his evil plan, and they walk away agreeing with him. No other villain has done that. The, the villain, Phantasm and Catwoman have not convinced Batman in both regards, both Batmans, to change his ways, to, to change what he thinks is right. But Ozymandias did that to the heroes of the movie itself. He convinced Convince them that 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 his plan is the best plan. That never happens in movies. Vill villains convincing the hero to follow his plan and go along with it. That's insane. That's why Ozymandias is is such a great villain and the best DC villain overall. All right. Um, we'll go over to the panel um, for their for their thoughts. Uh, we are going to go to uh, Cody because you didn't have him yet. You have to go first. Uh, this is really close. Um, I think this is one of the best Nerdgasm fights that we've had, um, to be honest. Um, but my vote goes to Ruben. Um, so how it broke down for me, again, this is why we have three judges, but Ruben came out swinging so hard that literally changed everybody on how to fight back towards him. Um, uh, we have a term called haymakers. And this dude didn't care about his stamina at all. He just started launching from the get-go and said, come and catch me. Um, he could have guessed. I think he gassed out a little bit at the end. I think he was missing some points at the end because he used all his ammo at the beginning. But it still kind of changed the fight. I think that Mark and Ruben did a great job of counteracting Ozymandian. Um, and then if Mark would have thrown the Catwoman ripoff earlier in the fight... You have me. Throwing so it at the end when no one can repeat, I ain't the biggest fan of. That's just my viewpoint. I've always been a fan. Like, throw it when you have it. Don't throw it to be cheap at the end. And I don't think you were. I just think that was just how it came out to me. Um, but I think Ruben overall threw those haymakers really strong and changed how these guys had to fight because they got rocked pretty hard at the beginning. All right. Uh, so Ruben gets uh, Cody's point. We'll go over to Caleb next. Uh, Caleb will get your point. I'm kind of still deliberating. You want to go ahead in front of me because I, I I still have to think a little bit. Yeah, I have. <laughs> so I, 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 I had. But I actually no no. I actually had my person um, be like as soon as close as soon as closing was done. I'm I'm at a point now where I, I just write down the person uh, that I think is going to win um, or that I believe should win, um, and that is Ruben. Uh, Ruben gets Ruben gets my point. Uh, he had a, an incredible offense. Like those haymakers. We're out of the fucking world. I agree with Cody. Mark's uh, Catwoman ripoff thing was really good, um, but it just it's just a little bit a little bit too late. If you sort of centered it around that um, earlier, would have been great. Uh, Jacoby was doing so well, like he was just doing so well defense wise against Ruben's attacks. But I think Ruben just got the best of him early and just sort of caught him on the back foot for the for the entirety of it. Uh, um. Ruben gets my point, but great job to all three competitors. Oh. It's liter it's literally like it's it's neck and neck and neck. I I've, I've never had I haven't Believe had this me. hard of a time figuring out who won in a long time. Uh, but Caleb, your vote did not count. Uh, how would you have swayed? Um honestly, uh <laughs> it's so close between the three. Um I think Jacoby's defenses were really, really great. But I think ultimately it came down to Ruben's haymakers that broke him down and Mark kind of continuously beating him down from the other side that kind of uh, hurt Jacoby. I think Mark and Ruben went at each other hard 
and I kind of have to agree. The the part the point about the cloning, like oh, you're just as a ripoff of mine, came just a little too late for me. If it was a little bit sooner, I would have given Mark the point. But I think Ruben's strong start and his really strong close kind of gives him the slight edge. Sixty-one, sixty, sixty. By the way, is this my point tally for everyone in favor of Ruben? It's that close. Great job, guys. All right, gentlemen. So after after the uh, the prep form or the the main round of debating, uh, everybody has a point, which means we now go into uh, a tiebreaker speed round format. How it's going to work is I am going to give you a question uh, in the realm of fandom movies or fandom, fandom TV. Uh, once I finish saying the question, if I hear you first, you will be going first. Uh, we'll go based off of the order. Uh, order that you submit your answers, you will have a 40-second opening followed by a 30-second rebuttal. The person who has the worst argument of the three will not be moving on to the main speed round. Any questions, gentlemen, before we start? No. Nope. Uh, no. So can just we so just you guys... be winners? Can we just, like, all, like, <laughs> share it? Or you guys can just both forfeit and we go with that. So just okay. so you... So just so you guys know, uh, the categories... The categories that we selected from were all ones that you guys could have drafted from in that pre in that previous ten uh, that that we read in, in the in the chat. So, your first question and listen very carefully. Uh, wait until the end. If I hear you first, you will be going first. <clears throat> in Fox Animation TV, so this is Family Guy, Simpsons, King of the Hill, American Dad, Cleveland Show, etc. A Fox animated show. Who is the best kid character? Stewie. I heard Stewie. Okay. Do, do they do their answers first before? They, all, they also do their, yeah, whatever. Should I wait? I think one person wants to close. <laughs> They're just waiting. I'm thinking, I'll go. I was afraid of that, but I wanted Stewie. That's Fox That's animation. I'll, I'll, okay, Bart I'll Simpson. do that. Who'd you say? Bart Simpson. That's not who I was just totally going to say or anything. Um, I'm okay. That's fine. I like Lisa better. Let's go with Lisa. All right, so uh, we have Stewie, and then Bart, and then Lisa. Ruben, you're going to have 40 seconds reopening arguments. Time begins whenever you start talking. Hands down, when you think box animation, there is only one character that is the funniest, that is the most developed, that has the most uh, story arc, does the most craziest things, and that is Stewie. Um, he's iconic, and honestly, he's the best thing about Family Guy, and without Family Guy, Honestly, that show will go downhill. He's extraordinary, and I can't wait to talk and debate why he kicks the other two's decisions ass because he is 10 times funnier. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm running out of time, so I'm going to stop there. You still have 15 seconds. Oh, okay. Well, then, um, yeah. So pretty much, um, and his relationship with the other characters in the show is what makes it a little bit more iconic, especially his relationship with Brian. Um, that little duo right there is actually what kind of, like, excels his character even more so. Over to Mark now for your opening statements. Uh, time begins to say talk. 
The most iconic Fox animation show is The Simpsons. They've been on the, the air for, what, 30 freaking years, and Bart Simpson is most certainly the face of it. How do I know that? Well, nobody lays a finger on my Butterfinger. That's Bart Simpson. He's in the ether, in the uh, pop culture. Without Bart Simpson, without The Simpsons in general, you don't get Family Guy. You don't get The Cleveland Show. You don't get any of that stuff and you know everyone loves homer we all love homer he's great but it's bart simpson that little uh that little rascal of a kid that uh is the rebel that's the one that we all look to and we get our the most laughs from bart simpson all right uh over to jacoby for the opening statements 40 seconds time again say talking um, I believe the question, who is the best child, not the most iconic child, the best child in, in the Fox animation is is Lisa Simpson, because she is the heart and the rock of the Simpsons family itself. She um, she centers and gravitates these crazy and kooky characters and allows them to go off into these crazy misadventures, but then still remain the heart and soul and the beating heart of, of the show itself. The other two can go off and Bart and uh, Stewie fade over time. They started great. They, 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 they sink. They go out. They, they, they rise again to great heights. But no matter what throughout it all throughout the Simpsons, Lisa Simpsons remains um, the, the, the straight man in the show that, that, that makes the Simpsons funny, that makes the Simpsons so relatable. Uh, how much time? Uh, two seconds. Lisa is great. All right, time. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we'll, go now, we'll now go into the rebuttal form. Uh, Ruben, you first. 30 seconds. Time begins when we start talking. Okay, so just because Simpsons came out earlier doesn't make it a uh, better show. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that Family Guy is a more entertaining, it's a funnier show, and, pe and people nowadays are more gravitated towards that. People don't watch Simpsons anymore. I'm sorry, but there's very, very few people that still watch Simpsons. But let's talk about the character itself and why uh, Stewie's the best character above Lisa and Bart. Stewie is actually a character that actually develops and goes and do does his own thing. He even started that huge, like, grapevine thing that started with YouTube about him kicking Brian's ass because he wants his money back. Like, there's so many iconic scenes with Stewie, and I'll drop. Time. Right. Over to Mark for your three-second rebuttal. Time begins when you start talking. The Simpsons have been on for so many years, it's never been canceled. Family Guy's been canceled like five different times because it's inconsistent. And Stewie is the most inconsistent character out of all of them. He doesn't want to be a, he doesn't know if he wants to be a supervillain or just a regular baby. They can understand him, they can't understand him. It makes no sense. He's, he's gay, he's straight, like whatever, just pick something. Lisa, nobody cares about because we're too busy following the misadventures of Bart Simpson or hell, even Homer for that matter. But it's mostly Bart because Bart is the funniest character on the whole show. It's Bart, hands down. Iconic does mean best. <laughs> Time. All right. Uh, over to Jacoby for your 30-second closing. Time. You're right. Stewie even comments about the fact of how much he's changed over time. He's an inconsistent character who goes through these highs and lows. Bart himself is wild. He's not likable. He doesn't go through these things. Well, Lisa has given us the most heartfelt Simpsons stories there is with, um, I believe, Homer's uh, Homer's brain and Lisa Sachs, the two most heartfelt uh, Simpsons episodes there are that connects us to the show, that reminds us of why The Simpsons is great. Without her, you can't have these crazy, wacky adventures overall. So that's why Lisa itself, even though she's not the funniest character like Stewie and Bart, she is the best character in Fox and best kid character in Fox animation because she's allowed allows this event to happen. All right. We'll go over to the judges panel now for fair decision. I'm going to go first. Um, when Cody was smirking, uh, he was smirking because I'm a massive Fox anime, Fox animated fan. Uh, I, I was five for four family guys to get on the fan of TV. So I, I have a deep love for this. Um, I was not expecting TV at all. <laughs> Jacoby, Jacoby has had the best I think that I think that was great. Um, Ruben did a really good 
mark unfortunately your your opening and just sort of just sort of basing it around culture i i understand the theme that you're trying to go for i just need some substance if you had if you had some substance it would have been a little bit closer but unfortunately uh you had the weakest argument uh but i'm not the only judge uh so we'll go to uh to Caleb. to Caleb next Caleb, uh, who gets your vote and why so i think jacoby had the best argument so i think he's definitely going on to the speed round um i think it came down to between mark and ruben um, and it came down to the points that they made between each other. I think Mark got more shots in on Stewie than, than Ruben got in on Bart. So I think slightly I'm going to advance Mark to the speed run over Ruben. All right, so it comes down to Cody. Um, Jacoby is, Jacoby's going to be in. It's uh, down between Mark and uh, Ruben. Can I vote Ruben? Uh, can I vote Jacoby out? Is that possible? No? Okay. Uh, that's fair. Um, ouch. Uh, my vote actually gonna, is, is going to, I think Ruben got caught up on the show and didn't use enough time to talk about the character. Um, and he did bring up the character in the, in the closing. He just brought, spent the beginning of his 30 seconds on the show, and that wasn't the question. Um, so it was it was rough. I think both of them didn't do the greatest in that closing, but I think Ruben just uh, focused on like too much of like the he kind of set the pace at the beginning, like of the show and what, why it's so iconic and stuff, and not really drove home why. The, if he would have brought character, I don't know. It's it was that was close, and the it's worse is the hardest to decide because it's I think they both didn't do the greatest, but I think Ruben uh, going first kind of I think ruined uh, hurt that a little bit. All right, so with that, unfortunately, Ruben, you will not be advancing on uh, to the speed round. Uh, a great performance, nonetheless. Uh, sort of getting, getting that last point to force his tiebreaker. Uh, any quick, any quick thoughts? Yeah, um, I wasn't really prepared for TV to be honest. Um, but honestly, like I guess you gotta expect the unexpected with uh, this. So that's that's on me. Um, and yeah, like I thought. Uh, I would say I, I I kind of echo what Cody said that I think probably my mistake was pretty much kind of really relying more on this, the adventures that Stewie goes on and not more about his personality. Um, I don't know what else I could have done. I'm probably not the best at uh, speed rounds just because I can't think that fast. And and I probably, honestly, I bet you the thing that bit me in the ass was probably going first. Um, I guess I was hoping to kind of get the cocky or maybe like get that kind of in my back pocket. Maybe they'll be like, oh, you know, you went first. But no, I, I definitely got my ass kicked, so I understand going home first. It's um, and I think the we, wheel sorry, kind of really I think the wheel kind of ruined it. You went against a murderer's row. Like this should have been spaced out. I don't think these three should have been in the same room, but we decided on a wheel. So I think it was a great performance and I think you proved how good of a geek debater you truly are, because that 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 DC was your bread and butter and you could see it. And I can't wait to bring you back for another match. One on one. Yeah, you you will you will definitely be, be back for sure. Um also a quick fact check before we go into into the speed into the uh, the regular speed round. Family guy has only been canceled twice, uh, in two thousand two and two thousand five. Semantic. Uh, it should so, have been canceled forever. Okay. It should not have been. You shut. You shut your boss man's socks. No. All right. So we are now into the regular speed round uh, format. Uh, each winner has one point. Uh, so it'll be the first two, three. There will be no advantage going in, into this. Uh, same thing as, as the last time. If I hear you first, if you're going first. Forty second opening. Thirty second rebuttal. Um, once I uh, wait till I say the end of the question, and then uh, we'll get right into it. So, your first question, gentlemen, is as follows. 
what is the best use of a song in the Guardians of the Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Father uh, and Son. I heard Father and Son first from Mark. Uh with the best use of a song, does that count for uh, what's the name of it? Um, do I need to know the name of the song? Probably. If you can hum it or get us close to it, I bet Brooklyn will be able to help you with it. Yeah, we're not expecting you to be a music person. We just need you to know the song. Like, describe what scene. And what it's it's the it. it's the final it's the dance off song with, with against Ronan. It's um it's it's ooh, ooh, child. ooh child ooh child yeah ooh. ooh child things are gonna get easier. It's literally called ooh child. Yeah ooh child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I was like oh child. No, that doesn't sound right. So that's not it. You missed an yeah. O, an extra O. Yeah, that's it. Makes it <laughs> oh child. <laughs> All right, so uh, father and son up against ooh child. Uh, Mark, you're gonna be going first. You have forty seconds. Uh, Time begins when you start talking. You can say all you want about the movie of Guardians Volume 2, but at the end, during the Ravager funeral, when Cat Stevens' father and son is playing to signify the, the symbolic nature of, of Yondu and Peter Quill's relationship as he wasn't your father, but he or he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy, boy. I'm your daddy. And, you know, because it symbolizes that, look, it doesn't matter who your father is, but that uh, you have a relationship with someone. It's the, it's a perfect song to go out during this funeral because it's sad and somber and melancholy, and it speaks so much about the dynamics between a father and son. All right. Uh, Jacoby, for your opening record. The first Guardians of the Galaxy defined itself by its music right off the bat with its opening scene, and that continued to build throughout the movie until its epic conclusion, where the fate of the universe relied on a dance-off battle, with Peter Quill using the music from his past, Ooh Child, to distract Ronan long enough to, to save the world itself. So he used the song, and he used the music, and he, and he used this great theme that, 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 that came from the start of the movie to then to ultimately save the world and, and do better. Um, sure, uh, Father and Son is the sad, melancholic, and and depressing thing to a somber moment, but I don't want that from my guardians. I want the fun, energetic, exciting um, type of songs that the first guardians do, especially with U child when he used that song to save the universe. Time. All right. Over to the rebuttal section. Uh, Mark, you're up. 30 seconds. Time begins when you start talking. You need stakes when these movies have sequels, and the end of Guardians 2 showed stakes. It showed that we lost someone that we grew to love in the span of just like however long that movie is. And also, the song isn't just talking about that one scene. It's the overall narrative about the relationship between father and son. Ooh, Child is not even the full song. You're basically just, uh, you know, distracting with a couple of bars from the song, and, you know, nobody cares about that at that point. Father and son is, you know, it's 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 talking about being a Time. father and yeah. All right, 30, over to thirty seconds for thirty. Thirty yeah. seconds, okay. When I start talking, right? Okay. Um, uh, father and son is an emotional moment, but but the song is not what makes it emotional. It's the, it's the it's the it's it's the relationship between like Rocket and Peter and Peter saying goodbye to his dad that makes that thing. The song is nothing there, but the fact that he uses the song as intricate to the plot to save the world is so Guardians of the Galaxy. I cannot even stand it. The song isn't memorable in that final scene. It's the scene that's memorable. The song that he uses to dance off is the best. Are you counting me down? Oh no, you weren't. Uh, okay. Uh, 
Music is such an intricately part of Time. Guardians of the Galaxy. Ooh, Charles Pass. Time. Okay. Thankfully, I have not had to apply the Jessica Morgan rule yet. Um, on to... <laughs> Um, on to uh, the judges for the decision. I'll go to Cody Newberry first. Uh, how are you swaying and why? Ooh, um, that was a questionable choice on your part. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with um, Jacoby on this one. I think the ending swayed it for it was uh, to the plot. So Guardians of the Galaxy, stuff like that. I like what Mark said, but I think it's 51-49, Jacoby. All right. Uh, we'll go to Caleb next. Uh, who has your point in mind? Um, I'm going to lean slightly towards Jacoby. I think Mark did a really good job in his opening of Selling Me Why, but his closing, he didn't really hit Uchild as hard as uh, Jacoby ended up hitting Father and Son. So. All right. Uh, Jacoby also gets, gets the next point. Um, I would also agree. Uh, I think Jacoby had an unorthodox approach that somehow worked. Uh, and, and literally just taking the best usage of of a song. It was a title of the plot. Um, but yeah, uh, so Kobe does have the advantage going in, into the next question. Um, and that question will be as follows. What is the best Disney live action film that's not a remake? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. All right, let's go with Disney live action. John Carter of Mars, just John Carter. Have Honey, I Shrunk the Kids up against John <laughs> Carter. Uh, Mark says, I heard you first here to be going first. You have 40 seconds. Time begins when you start talking. Rick Moranis, okay? Rick Moranis creates a machine that shrinks things, and he shrinks his kids by accident, and the neighbors and hijinks ensues without this movie you don't get the uh the basis of how uh the spectacle works for ant-man for the shrinking mechanisms you know they they use that as a template we get to see these people in a uh in just their the lawn but it looks like such this amazing forest we get to see what it looks like if we were in fact microscopically sized uh, you know, and that's just exciting. There's practical effects as well as a little bit of uh, the uh, stop motion animation, but mostly practical. A giant practical ant. How cool is that? Time. All right. Over to Jacoby for your 40 seconds. Uh, time begins. Just enough. All right. All right. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is the inferior movie to Honey, I Shrunk the Adults, which is the better sequel. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is terrifying. Honey, I Shrunk the Adults is this awesome race car driving. The best Disney live-action movie is John Carter because um, it was labeled a bomb, as t bomb at its time just because it was so overpriced. But if you actually look at it, it was ahead of its time. It's this great, fun adventure with this wonderful world and this aliens that, that, that just takes you on this huge, grand-scale adventure that, that, that was just... Um, that was just too much for, for what it's time. And just because it costs so much to make, it couldn't recoup it back and therefore was labeled a huge bomb. Um, I, can I can still keep going. Because it, it, it did what Disney does best. It takes us to another world by adapting this wonderful book into a really legitimate movie. Time. All right. On to the, uh, to the rebuttal round. Mark, uh, you're up next. Time begins when you start talking. 
I don't know who hurt you to make you think that that sequel was better than the original because that's just absolutely false. John Carter of Mars, you had it right the first time. It was a massive bomb, millions of dollars bomb, so much so that, hey, did that get a sequel? No, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sure did. Got two sequels, as a matter of fact. John Carter of Mars, nobody knows what the hell's going on in that movie. It's just a big, overproduced, sloppy mess full of bad acting and a story that is just not well perceived on screen honey i shrunk the kids is fun it's a spectacle. time all right over to Jacoby for your rebuttal time begins when you start talking bombs don't make a bad movie labeling it by just how much money it makes is not a testament to the quality of the movie itself just because it could not find its audience back then does that does not mean that it's a good movie honey i shrunk the kids is is terrifying it's not a it's not a good movie overall it's dated try watching it now i'd rather you said it, it inspires ant-man i'd rather just watch ant-man there's nothing quite like john carter out there because of it's just of its of its whimsical out there far out space adventure that that was able to overcome a bad lead performance by such amazing visuals and story all right we'll now go on to the judge's decision um this is almost as tough as uh, as the dc question that we did earlier um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go, gonna go jacoby i think jacoby had a had a well-rounded argument and he used mark's own words words against him where it was like i'm if i'm if I'm gonna go, if, I, if it inspired Ant Man, I'm gonna go watch Ant Man. So I think I think that sort of won me over. Uh, but I'm not the only judge, so we'll go to uh, to Cody next. Cody, um, who gets your point? Why? I'm going Mark. I think Mark had this one. Um, I just think his overall attack. He set up the groundwork in the opening and laid it down in the uh, closing. I think Jacoby had great haymakers, um, but just not enough um, to counteract it. Plus, I never thought when this question was asked we would have John Carter versus <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But I'm going Mark. All right. Uh, so, Caleb, it comes down to you. Um, who gets your point in the way? I think Jacoby's comeback there was really admirable, and he did a really good job of closing the gap. But I think Mark had laid out too many great points up to that point for him to quite close the gap. So I'm going to go by the skin of his teeth with Mark. Alrighty, so once again, we are tied, uh, which means that we are going into the final uh, speed round question, gentlemen. Uh, same thing as always, 40-second uh, uh, opening followed by 30-second rebuttal. Um, Caleb, I'm going to get you to announce this question because it is yours. Cool. Um, okay. So, that means uh, it sucks. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. I know it sucks. Okay. So your speed round question, um, I will clarify – meaning that it's not you can pick anything that's not one of these three movies just for the sake of clearing up the argument what is the best disney animated or pixar animated film that wasn't nominated for best picture that should have been nominated for best picture the three movies that were nominated for best picture were beauty and the beast up in toy story 3. so i'll say the question one more time and when i'm done saying it you can pick your answer so the best disney or pixar animated movie that wasn't nominated for best picture that should have been nominated for best picture Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2. Toy Story 1. Bull fired. Bull fired. Toy Story oh, 2. Oh, Marie, first, oh, just Toy Story 1. I wish I could give somebody um, not a point already. Did you know the Lion King came out? Yeah, thank you. 
say, would also say the Incredibles or Inside Out are both acceptable answers. What about Lion um, King one and a half? Almost went Incredibles, but I was like, we are marking the point. Mark it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's get right into it. Uh, I heard Toy Story two first. Uh, Jacoby, you're gonna have forty seconds reopening remarks. That begins when they were up. Toy Story 2 proved that Pixar wasn't just kind of a fluke. It was that kind of settling into itself and establishing itself as a powerhouse company. Building off of the characters and the relationships built in the first Toy Story, Toy Story 2 delivers a perfect movie. Um, the way that organically builds the relationships from the characters of the first movie and 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 shoots them and vaults them into new territories and new exciting territories it's a it's an exciting rescue film it's a wonderful um uh just kids film overall it's filled with these one wonderful wacky characters and it's also much sadder than toy story it has a more emotional beating heart with the introduction of jesse and bullseye it does everything toy story does but just better and 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 turns the dial up to 11. time all right, over to Mark uh, for your opening statements. Uh, 40 seconds. Time is yours when you start talking. Toy Story is the reason Pixar has continued to succeed. It starts with this one. It starts with Toy Story, a story about the toys coming to life when we're not around, us regular people, and they have all kinds of adventures, and they care. They literally care about being this boy's best friend without he, him even knowing that they're sentient. And you want to talk about uh, a darker story. I mean, it gets dark because... Woody feels replaced by this new, uh, more action-packed, uh, newer toy of Buzz Lightyear. And who among us hasn't felt like we are misplaced in life, especially when we were a kid and, you know, the world is big and scary. And it's Toy Story, the first one. Time. All right, over to the rebuttal. Uh, Jacoby, you're up. Uh, time again. So when you say talk? 30 seconds. Yeah, 30 seconds. Um... A uh, first success is great. Toy Story is a great movie, but the, but for Pixar to prove that they could, they still have it, that they can deliver again and again, started with with Toy Story two that came after that. Um, the emotional beating heart and the, the plot of the movie about feeling replaced um, that that was that was replaced itself and replaced with a better plot point in Toy Story two with Woody feeling um, not not finding his place in the world, which is ten times more important than feeling replaced itself. So finding your uh, where you belong with your friends, which which the toys come from the first movie is what makes Toy Story the best. All right, Mark, over to you for your 30 second rebuttal. Uh, this will be the last uh, of the match. So, type begins when you start talking. Every movie is a gamble, and Toy Story, the first one, is the biggest gamble because they didn't know if that was going to succeed or not. If the sequel failed, at least they had the first one, and the first one was great. Uh, Woody finding his place in the second one, he, he's already found his place. It's already established. In the second one, he just gets selfish because he wants more. He wants to be back in the spotlight like he used to be when Buzz wasn't around. He doesn't want to say that to Buzz's face because Buzz is his buddy now, but that's what happens. He finds his roundup buddies because he wants to be the star of the show in the second one, where in the first one, it's all about him. Time. All righty. Uh, let's get into the judge's decision. Uh, Caleb, we'll go to you first because uh, you're uh, you were deciding vote last time. Um, who gets your vote more? Um, I think Jacoby had this one. Uh, he gave me more of a reason as to why the story and the movie of Toy Story Two is better than Toy Story. Whereas Mark kind of kept using that the precedent of Toy Story One, we wouldn't have Toy Story Two, kind of as the crux of his argument. 
And his closing was a lot stronger than his opening, but it wasn't enough to make up the ground that Jacoby had set with his opening and closing. All right. Um, I am actually going to to somewhat agree with Caleb, but I think Mark's rebuttal was was phenomenal enough to, to really get to really get to get the point for me. Um, I think I think it was a way that he was sort of it was sort of like a counterattack where he's like, well, well, Woody, Woody already found, already found, already found his place in Toy Story. He's just getting, a, he's getting greedy in Toy Story too. I think that's what won me over. Um, so it's uh, comes down to Cody. Um, who do you have and why? One person said Toy Story. One person said Toy Story two. Another person said Lion King one and a half. <laughs> but I have to subtract all that, and I am going with. Jacoby. Jacoby wins on this one because I think Mark made a great dash at the end. But I think he made a gutsy move with going with the original when the sequel was just thrown out, which I love the strategy. I love, like, I'm going to prove that this one's better. But he fell into the main crux that we wouldn't get this one without that one. And that is my, like, Achilles heel. I Not Achilles heel. That's my pet peeve in debate. I hate that argument. Not saying it's not valid. It just wasn't enough to counteract what Jacoby was throwing. So this freaking fight was awesome, but I have to go with Jacoby. <laughs> well, gentlemen, that means that your winner uh, from the first triple threat of season two, uh, it is Jacoby Bancroft. I have to say, this is up. This is up there for one of the best debate for one of the best debate matches. But it is certainly probably the most fun that I've ever had as a host and as, as a main judge. Uh, props to Mark Jacoby and Ruben for for a, a, an excellent back and forth. Um, we're gonna start off with Jacoby. Uh, Jacoby, you got uh, yeah, you got the first point out of, out of the gate uh, with Rocky, and then you saw Mark and Ruben catch up. Uh, then went to the speed round. Uh, what was your feeling going into the tiebreaker uh, for speed round? I thought, oh man, the speed round. All I really wanted to begin with is one point. I just wanted the Rocky point. That's really all I came into this match to get because that was the category I suggested and that's all I really wanted. So I just, with that, I was happy. And going into the speed round, I was terrified and I was just convinced these are just two phenomenal fighters. And they were, they approached it with such confidence and ease. And I'm I'm just so hot. I'm so hot. <laughs> I'm so right now. My heart is racing. This is terrifying. But oh my God, that was intense. That was insane. Um, yeah, it's just. All right. Um, over to uh, to Mark. Uh, a great performance. I think I think you really hit hit. I think really hit your stride in in question two, and then and, and then did, did well after that. Uh, unfortunately, it just came down to the final question. Uh, how do you feel about your performance? I feel pretty damn good, and uh, I've got. I'm not even hung up on it because straight up, I'll admit it. Like Jacoby just. Sh- he he came out swinging. You guys kept talking about the haymakers, and yeah, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling those haymakers, and yeah, and I went down. Can't even be mad because he put up the better fight, and I'm just happy that I made it as far as I did, and I didn't get uh, completely demolished after my last uh, war zone fight you know, or battle. You know, you know, whatever. It's fine. That's in the past. It's all in the past, right, Cody? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we will definitely be seeing, we'll definitely see you, uh, return. Um, if you could sort of just, if you could pinpoint a certain opponent that you would want to go up against, uh, who would it be? That's a good one. I've been asked this a whole bunch and, you know, and I always seem to give the same answer of, uh, I, I don't care who it is. I just, I'm going to get better the more and more I keep doing this. So, you know, give me whomever, 
But if I had to throw out somebody just right away, I, I don't know. I'd have to like. There's a there's a guy over there that calls himself King, who seems <laughs> to you know he likes to he likes to talk a big game. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to get him in trivia, but it'll be even more interesting to see what he can do in a debate. So uh, sup, Coho. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Sorry, kid. You're yeah, not ready you, yet. You, either one. You keep saying kid. I'm pretty sure I got 12 years on you. And I have 12 more wins than you in debate. So this is name. This is the second match in a row that Caleb was judging a debate and then got immediately called out <laughs> after a match. Not this is opinion. glorious. If it helps, Caleb, right. I don't want to debate you. So that's fine. Uh, I don't want to debate you either. If, it, if it's any point. <laughs> All right. Uh, so go to quick thoughts from the judges. Uh, Caleb, uh, you you just got called out, but how do you feel about the about the match today? Uh, this is one for the ages. Um, I think this is maybe the best, not maybe, is definitely the best multi-person debate ever. Um, just how well it ran and also the arguments presented. I think the uh, the best individual round of trivia, or uh, not trivia, debate ever in this, uh, in Nergasm was the fight because it was incredibly close. That shows the caliber of the three debut fighters that we have tonight. Both, all three were amazing. Um, and congratulations to Jacoby for winning. All right. Uh, Cody, your thoughts? Um, I just want to thank you guys so much because you helped legitimize debate for us. Um, it's actually something that <laughs> I don't care. Uh, no, it was fantastic to watch. Uh, again, I played Mark, um, regardless of scoreboard or however it shook out. Uh, super tough, super tough, super prepped. Um through stuff that threw you off the game. Uh, Jacoby is now a player that I don't want to play. Um, just because he's so relaxed. Like, um, I feel like I would throw something in a debate and he would be like, well, that's not very nice, sir. I would <laughs> that about you and then throw me off my game. Um, but I'm really not surprised with Coho being called out. Um, Coho's in a shot for a number one contender right now. So, like, it's a little bit far out there, but I'm telling you, Mark gets a few wins, and because uh, this league is young, I can put a fun match together in a heartbeat if you lose to Jay. So, just saying, it might happen. Bring it. Uh, yeah, to echo both of the thoughts, this is an incredibly fun and incredibly entertaining match. Uh, what a great way to kick off season two with these incredible rookies. Uh, there's only greater things to come. Uh, and if we can start it off like this and we're doing, we're doing good things. Uh, so that is going to wrap things up uh, for Nerdgasm. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jacoby, Mark, and Ruben for both for incredible performances all around. Uh, congrats to Jacoby for the win. Uh, so for uh, Jacoby, Mark, Ruben, Co or Cody, Caleb, and myself, um, cheers, guys, and as always, and Tim Bracala, uh, our fantabulous editor. Cheers, guys, and as always, drive safely. Drive on safe, wreck your cars, I don't care.